Amen. Good morning. Let's try that again. Good morning. There we go. You're awake now. Yes. All right. First of all, I just want to say it was a great baptism yesterday. We baptized nine folks, five adults, four children. I want to thank Toby and Marcia again for hosting us all. There was around 50 people there to witness the baptism and to cheer everybody on and to celebrate with them. And it's just so good to see some of those that I baptized today uh, here in the 9 o'clock service. Uh, another reminder, between services today, the youth leadership team would like to meet with all parents of our youth, and that includes parents of youth that are coming in to our youth ministry uh, this summer. So uh, that's right between the services. It'll be right here in the auditorium. Uh, don't forget about that, parents of youth. Luke chapter 18 this morning. We're going to be looking at the first 17 verses of Luke chapter 18. And before we get into the nitty-gritty of the passage this morning, I want to take a step back and look a little bit at the context, if you will, and an overview of this passage. You will notice three phrases in verse 8, 14, and 17. Jesus says, I tell you. In fact, in verse 17, he says, I tell you the truth. And we'll talk about that in just a moment. But in verse 8, verse 14, and verse 17, Jesus is clearly speaking, and he's speaking to those who are following him. I tell you. Jesus wants to shape our lives through his word. That's what he was doing then, that's what he wants to do today. As he speaks to us through this passage of Scripture, Jesus wants to shape our lives. Our lives should be shaped by the Word of God. And this passage also is just a great reminder of why we need to read the Bible and study the Bible in context. Context is huge. You and I come to a better understanding of the Word of God when we study and read the Bible in its context. So often down through the years, people take passages and verses out of their context, and that just really destroys the original meaning and clouds the original meaning of what God is trying to teach through his word. It's why here at the Oasis you will always see me teaching book by book, chapter by chapter, and verse by verse. Because you will notice in chapter 18, verse 1, it starts out with, then Jesus told them this parable. And the word then is speaking about the fact that this is coming now on the heels of what he's just taught in verse, in chapter 17. And let's be reminded about that from last week. He was teaching about his second coming to earth and how as we move through history, 
The days on earth are going to become more and more difficult and more and more challenging for us as human beings. Things are not going to get easier. Things are going to get harder. In fact, Paul even says in 2 Timothy chapter 3, in the last days, perilous, difficult times will come. The Bible teaches there's going to be a, a rise of violence. There's, there's going to be love that grows cold and, and more and more hatred is expressed and more and more hatefulness and all of these things are going to snowball more and more hopelessness. As I've shared with you before, I've done more funerals in the last year and a half due to suicide than I've ever done in 37 years previously as a pastor. And remember, Jesus said last week, I know that even for those who are following me, you're going to want me to come back and make everything okay. You're going to desire to see just one of the days of the Son of Man. But Jesus says, you won't see it yet. You need to be patient because I'm a patient and long-suffering God. And I'm not willing that any should perish, but that all should come to repentance. So the reason for my delay in coming and setting everything right on the earth is because I'm waiting for just a few more to come to faith in me. I'm waiting for a few more lives to become aligned with me and to recognize for the very first time in their life how much I, as God, loves them and that I have a plan and purpose for their life. So that's the context of what Jesus is going to share with us in the first 17 verses of Luke chapter 8. And so notice what he says. Then, based on chapter 17, he spoke to them in a parable that was going to show them how they should always pray and not lose heart. First of all, the word always speaks about something that is of absolute necessity. Jesus is saying, I'm not making a suggestion. I know things are going to be hard for you on the earth. So here's what I need you to do. Here's my prescription, if you will, for living in challenging times. I need you to be people of prayer. Otherwise, you will lose heart. The word speaks about growing weary, becoming weak internally, allowing the world and the things that are going on in the world to get the best of us to the point where we do throw in the towel, throw up our hands in defeat and hopelessness, and we give up. Jesus is saying, I can't have my people no matter how hard it is to live on the earth, give up and raise the white flag. I need you instead to be a people of prayer. Prayer. And by the way, the word that Jesus uses here for prayer is speaking about engaging with God in an intimate, personal way that imparts faith and that builds faith and that strengthens faith. So it's not just any type of praying. It's engaging with God to where I walk away from my time in prayer and God has imparted faith in me. He has strengthened faith. 
He has given me the encouragement of faith. And what is faith here? It is simply to trust and have complete confidence in God. It is to get to a place more and more where I am persuaded and I have a conviction that Everything that God has said about himself and what he has spoken to me about in his word is true. And I can base my life on it. I can have it as a solid foundation that gives me a stability and security in a very unstable, insecure world. In fact, it is the only thing that can give me security and stability in a very insecure, unstable world. That's what faith is. And faith is always our response Responding to God revealing himself. Faith is always based on our response to God's revelation. And so Jesus is saying, you got to pray, but not just any kind of praying. You got to pray to where you are and I are interacting and we're engaging and you walk away from your time with me with a more solid faith with more trust and confidence. You may not have come to me in prayer with a lot of trust and confidence. You may have come to me with a lot of doubts and, 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 you know, misgivings and and all of those things, But, but by the time you leave my presence as you and I are praying, you'll walk away trusting and having confidence and having a conviction and persuasion that yes, I can put my life in God's hands. I, I can put my faith in his word. His word is true. And then Jesus gives the parable based upon this principle. He says, there was in a certain city a judge. This judge is totally unlike God. In fact, Jesus says he doesn't fear God and he has no respect for people. There was also in this city a widow. And this widow kept coming to him, pleading with this judge to give her justice against an adversary. And at first, Jesus says, the judge totally blows her off. He doesn't listen to her, doesn't have any regard for her request, but she keeps coming. And finally, the judge says, I'm going to give this lady justice because she won't stop bothering me. And she's just going to wear me out by her unending pleas. Basically, the unjust, unrighteous judge just wants to get rid of her. He, he, just, he wants to just make her go away. So he gives her justice. Then look at verse 6. Jesus is saying to those who are following him, listen, listen to what the unjust, unrighteous judge just said. I'll give you justice. And yet, he didn't care about this lady. He didn't have any love for this lady. He had no feeling or regard for this lady. And yet, he gave her justice. So Jesus here in this parable is simply arguing from the lesser to the greater. He's saying, if this judge in this city will end up giving this woman justice, even though he doesn't care a lick about her, doesn't love her at all. Won't God, verse 7, give justice to his chosen ones who cry out to him day and night? 
You see, the judge is not a picture of God. He's just the opposite. And yet Jesus is saying, even this unrighteous judge gave this woman justice. How much more then will your God, who loves you, who cares about you, who has feeling for you, who has compassion and concern for you, how much more will he want to bring justice to you and for you? How much more will he want to vindicate you and your faith in him? And then Jesus goes on to say, will he delay long to help you? Verse 7. In other words, as God does delay, and we know why he's delaying, because he's a patient and long-suffering God, not willing that any should perish, but that all should come to repentance. Jesus saying, in his delay, you can count on his help. He will help you as he delays. He will give you supernatural strength and grace and wisdom and everything that he needs to give you and that you need out of his unending resources as God. He will be enough for you, even though it's going to be very difficult and challenging days that you will be alive on this earth. And then he's also saying in that passage or that phrase, what is his delay compared to eternity? Will he delay long to help? Zero in on those words to help. See, Jesus is saying, I'll help you while I'm delaying. And then verse 8. I tell you, he will give you justice speedily, right away. And that's what we have to understand. Look, Jesus isn't saying, oh yeah, as soon as you, you know, need vindication or the, the second something happens. No, but he's saying that when he comes, as he talked about in chapter 17, when he comes, oh, his justice and vindication is going to come like that. It's not going to be a process that we got to go through. When the King of Kings and Lord of Lords comes back to earth, as we talked about last week, his justice and his vindication for his people, it will happen immediately in the twinkling of an eye. That's what he means by the word speedily. But then notice what he says. Nevertheless, when the Son of Man comes, will he find faith on earth? Well, let's talk about the word find. Because that reminds us that Jesus is looking for something. Because it's a word that speaks about discovering something or finding something after a careful search. Jesus is always looking for those who have faith in him. Those who trust and have their confidence in him and in what his, he said. That's who he's looking for. In fact, the Bible says the eyes of the Lord run to and fro throughout the whole earth, looking for those whose hearts are devoted to him. God's always looking for faith. And we know that the Bible teaches that there's only one thing that Jesus ever marveled at that's recorded in the Bible. And that is faith and a lack of it. That's it. Jesus is wanting to find faith on the earth. And he's basically saying, when I come back, will there be anybody on earth that still has trust and confidence in me? Or will everybody be just, I don't believe in God anymore. I don't trust God anymore, whatever. Because things are going to get really bad. 
And even those who claim to believe in him now, they, they may have a crisis of faith where they just stop trusting and stop believing and stop putting their confidence in him. That's a sobering phrase that Jesus uses there. Because in framing the question that way, he's also basically declaring there isn't going to be much faith on the earth when I come back. And we sort of even are beginning to see that today. I mean, you go through this cold, hard statistics, less and less people are part of a local church. Church attendance is down all across the country. People aren't reading their Bibles like they used to. People aren't worshiping God like they used to. I mean, we continue to see this slide of people of faith. And so what Jesus is saying is, in the context If you want to hang in there and you don't want to lose heart and become discouraged and disillusioned and and feel like you're getting to a point where you just want to throw in the towel and give up, pray. I'm calling my people to prayer, but not just any prayer. The kind of praying that imparts faith, that develops faith, that strengthens faith in me because you're going to need faith in order to rise to the challenges of the days in which you live. There's something else that Jesus is looking for, beginning in verse 9 through verse 14. And that is he's also looking for humility. Because notice then Jesus moves on to say, I also want to share another parable with you because there are some in my midst who are confident that they are righteous and they look down on everyone else. In other words, they think they're better than everyone else. And by the way, isn't it cool how Jesus juxtaposes the fact that faith is trusting in him and yet the word confident that he uses in verse 9 about some of those who are around him is self-confidence? It is those who are trusting in themselves rather than trusting in God. You see the contrast there? And then Jesus shares this story. He says, beginning in verse 10, two men went up to the temple to pray. Keep that in mind. We'll come back to that in just a moment. One was a Pharisee. The other was a tax collector. Now let's also pause here. Because Jesus doesn't just choose things randomly. Jesus is going to blow people's minds by this story. Can I just tell you? Here's why. Because the Pharisee in Jesus' day was the religious leaders of Israel. If anybody was godly, spiritual, you know, was in line with God, it would have been the Pharisee, right? I mean, that's just the way it goes. They wear all the robes. They've got all the external lookings of somebody who's religious and all that. The tax collector. The tax collector was hated. Tax collectors were despised. Nothing much has changed in 2,000 years, right? No. Tax collectors were looked at as some of the most unspiritual 
ungodly people. Because again, Jesus is saying part of the problem in my day, and it's continued today, we judge things by externals and we're not looking at people's hearts. So then notice what Jesus says. He starts out with the Pharisee. He says, the Pharisee goes up to the temple to pray and he stands there and notice then what Jesus says also. He prays about himself. Well, that tells you something. He's praying about himself. God, I thank you that I'm not like other people. I thank you, God, that I'm not like these extortioners and these unrighteous people and adulterers and, oh, yeah, even that tax collector standing over there. I fast twice a week. I give a tenth of everything that I get. It's all about him. His whole prayer is really in a manifestation of this pride in his heart. But then Jesus says, I want you to listen to what the tax collector prays. It says, he stands afar off. He, he won't even look up to heaven. He's beating his chest. And the words that come out of his mouth are, God, be merciful to me, the sinner that I am. Now listen to what Jesus says in verse 14. I tell you, this man, the tax collector, went to his home justified. That means to be right with God, to be aligned with God, rather than the Pharisee. I'm telling you, we can't appreciate how everybody's minds would have just exploded at that point. Because everybody that was listening to Jesus that day would have said just the opposite. The, if anybody was justified before God, if anybody had a right relationship with God, it would have been the Pharisee, not the tax collector. But God looks at the heart. And the heart of the Pharisee was all about pride and thinking he was better than everybody else around him. The tax collector, even though he might have had a position as a tax collector, his heart was tender. His heart was responsive to God. His heart was humble before God. And he recognized that all that he was and all that he would ever have was not because he could earn it or work for it or even deserve it. It was all of grace. It was all based on the gift of God that all he had to do was receive it. And so Jesus is saying he went down to his home justified. Now, I want you to go back to verse 10 and then look at verse 14 again. Because this is important for us to apply this to our own life. Two men went up to the temple to even pray. That meant two people went up to the house of God that day and they were even praying, which is a good thing, right? Because Jesus just said people should always pray and not lose heart. And yet only one went home right with God. You see, it's a reminder to us that we can come to the house of God. We can even pray in the house of God and yet not go home any different. More godly, more spiritual, more in line with God, more like Jesus than when we entered. Think about that. Think about that today in the context of our church and every other church in this country. That just because people come to church and pray and worship 
and sit under the word or whatever we do even throughout the week. It's not going to mean anything if our heart isn't responsive to God. We can go through all of these things and yet be no different and remain unchanged and can go home the same person that we were when we came. No transformation takes place. That's pretty sobering. I wonder how many Sundays that's happened to us where we came to the house of God and we left no different than when we came because our heart wasn't responding to what God wanted to do in our lives because we weren't humbling ourselves. We weren't teachable. We knew it all. We had it all. We didn't need what God was offering to us. And yet notice what Jesus says in verse 14. I'm telling you, everyone who exalts themselves, God will humble them. And everyone who humbles themselves before God, God will exalt. Because God exalts the humble. God exalts the humble. And that's exactly what he was doing with the tax collector and not the Pharisee. See, Jesus is looking not only for faith, he is looking for humility. Because that even ties back into what he just said in the first eight verses. A humble person is going to realize their need before God and their need of God, and they're going to pray. Prayer is going to be one of the expressions of a humble person. A prideful person is going to say to God, God, I got this. I don't need you. I don't need to come to you and ask you for anything or ask you for wisdom. I got this, God. I'm good. Humble people are constantly like the widow, going before God saying, God, I have a need. I need you. I can't do this without you. And that's part of why in the context, Jesus has built these two parables and placed them together. Because also, humble people will be people that God will impart faith to. Because they come to God also saying, God, I need that faith. I need you to continue to strengthen my faith and build my faith and develop my trust and confidence in you. Because sometimes the circumstances of my life, even as a follower of yours, I begin to doubt. I, I begin to question. I, I have a, so I, I need to come to you and constantly be in your presence as we sung about this morning and worship to you this morning. And, and I need that because, Lord, I need you to do a work in my heart always. I've never come to the point where I've arrived where I can just put it on cruise control and just sail into eternity. It doesn't work that way. Not for the humble person. The humble person is constantly looking to what more I can do to, to get closer to the Lord and, and, and to draw near to God. And then speaking of that, I love this. Look at verse 15. It says, even people were bringing their babies. And the word baby here speaks of anything, any person from a newborn up to about three or four years of age. So toddler, very, very young. They were bringing their babies to Jesus to what? To have him touch them. Maybe that's what we need today. Maybe 
Maybe we need a touch from Jesus today. Do you need a touch from Jesus today? Many were bringing their toddlers and their babies to Jesus just to have him touch them. It's a beautiful picture of Jesus blessing these children. But notice the reaction of his disciples. They see these people bringing their little ones to Jesus, and they begin to scold them as if Jesus doesn't want to be bothered by little children. Oh, Jesus scolds his disciples, doesn't he? I love the accessibility of Jesus. Jesus is always accessible to all of us, no matter what. And he welcomes children. He loves children, just like he loves all of us. And so he says to the children, come to me. And then he turns to his disciples and says, don't you stop these children from coming to me. Don't you hinder them. Don't you restrain them because the kingdom of God belongs to such as these. What's he saying? He's saying, you know who the kingdom of God belongs to? The childlike, not the childish. (laughs) That's different. The childlike. Jesus says, you and I have to be humble enough to be like a child before God. See, Jesus is saying, children, especially very, very young children, are totally dependent on someone else. They they can't do anything for themselves, right? And if, if it wouldn't be for someone taking care of all their needs, they'd be lost. Jesus saying, I need people to come to me as their God like that. First of all, for salvation, realizing that I can't save myself, I can never be good enough or do enough good works or all of that to merit salvation with you, God, and to have a relationship. It's all based on what you've done and me just receiving it as a child. So notice what Jesus says in verse 17. I tell you the truth. Everyone and anyone who does not receive the kingdom of God like these little children will not enter it. Whoa. In other words, you will never enter the kingdom of God unless you come as a child. If you come bringing your own righteousness and you come bringing your your own stuff that you can bring and somehow feel like you you can do something for it, it doesn't work that way. You've got to come as a little child realizing that I've got nothing, God, and I know you've done it all, and I'm just trusting and placing my confidence in what you've already done. And by the way, one of the key words that Jesus uses there in verse 17 is the word receive. Unless you receive the kingdom of God like these little ones. Many times we are good about giving but not receiving. But Jesus is laying down a principle here that's really important for us to get you and I won't be able to truly give until we receive from him first. Jesus even is saying that here. 
You, have, you could have so much more to give if you just took the time to receive. John even said, we love him because he what? First loved us. It's only when we begin to receive his love for us and take it in that we can truly love others the way he loves us. First reception, then giving. And by the way, another reason why Jesus is using a child here as an illustration of this. Have you ever known a child to refuse a gift? I've never come across a child that was given something, oh, no, I don't want that. Most children are like more than happy to receive gifts, right? Because they're like, that's great. You're giving me something good. I'll take it. The problem is that many times as we grow up into adults, we become too proud to receive. And there's Jesus wanting to give us the greatest gift we could ever be given, which is a relationship with him and, and his love and all that. No, Jesus, I'm, I'm good. I, I don't need that. I have enough. Jesus says, well, fine. If you're not going to come to me like a little child, then you're not going to be able to come to me at all. Because unless you receive the kingdom of God like these little children, you will not enter. Because let's face it, too, being a child is in some ways humbling because you've got to have other people doing things for you that you can't yet do yourself. And the sad thing is that even as Christians, we can get to the point where we grow up but really don't grow up because we grow up in one way but we don't grow in another. We, we grow up to, yes, be independent and, and be able to do things for ourselves, but that's good in one sense, but it's never good when it comes to our relationship with God where we grow in our independence of him, where we don't think we need him. And that's what Jesus is saying here. And again, that ties back to what he said in the first eight verses. Because when you and I live in total dependence upon God, we're going to have the ability to persevere and endure and rise to the challenges of the days we live in. But if we don't live in total reliance and dependence on God, we will never be able to do it. And the days in which we live will get the best of us and we'll lose heart. So you can see in these first 17 verses how it's all packaged together by Jesus and how it all ties together. Jesus is looking for faith. Jesus is looking for humility. Humility and faith that's expressed in a life of prayer, a life of not looking down on others and thinking we're better than others, a, a life of childlikeness in some respects. That's what Jesus is looking for. And so today, I want you to listen real carefully because we haven't done this for a while and we haven't done it just like this ever. So I need you to hang in there with me. Like every Sunday, we're going to have our worship team come in just a moment. And we're going to begin to end our service and and. 
with worship and with singing this song. And I want us to begin this time with just thinking about worshiping and singing and praising the Lord, okay? But remember what Jesus did in verse 8, 14, and 17? He's speaking to us, and he wants to shape us by his word. So as we get into the song, okay, I want you, as you're worshiping, to be listening to the voice of Jesus. Because Jesus is going to be speaking to all of us during that time of worship. And he's going to be speaking to us about what he wants us to be praying for. He may even be speaking to some of us about reaching out and being humble today and being childlike today and say, I need prayer. I'm in a place right now where I, I would love to have some of my brothers and sisters pray for me right now. And then some of you, he may be even speaking to you about coming alongside of others around you and praying with them today as we end our time together. So the first part of this song is going to be, let's just worship and listen to the voice of Jesus. As we get further into the song, I'm hoping that some of you will be willing to raise your hand and say, I need prayer. And that others will begin to look around and see that you're raising your hand and that they're going to come alongside of you and begin to pray for you. And others of you may just be moved to come alongside somebody and just say, hey, can we pray together? Can, because here's the deal. Jesus said, my house shall be called a house of prayer. And Jesus has just taught us today, I've got to have my people pray and not lose heart. That's the secret. And God wants to, through our time of prayer today, impart, strengthen, and build faith in every last one of us here today. So I want this to be not just a time of worship. I want this to be a time of prayer. And if we go longer than the song, Nicole's already prepared to just keep it going. And I will try to see what the Spirit of God is doing and We'll just let the Spirit of God lead us in this time. I don't want to shut the service down sooner than God wants it to be, but I also don't want to extend our time longer than it needs to be. But we're going to let the Spirit of God drive this for the next few minutes. Are you okay with that? Okay. So I'm going to ask Nicole and our worship team to come and get set here. And I'm going to ask the rest of us, could we just stand? And I'm going to pray for us right now. And one of the things I'm going to pray for is that some of us here today would be childlike enough, humble enough to say, I need prayer. And that as we move in and through this worship song, you will raise your hand and others will be sensitive that God is speaking to me about going and praying with somebody or praying for somebody today. And that there's going to be some activity going on and movement going on in this auditorium. And we're going to let God do what God wants to do here today. Amen? Father, we thank you today that you are here with us. We thank you, God, that we have an opportunity right here that we can seize. An opportunity, God, to engage with you and interact.
to the house of God, that worshiped you, God. So God, would you work as we worship and as we pray? In Jesus' name, amen.